You're listening to Mind Your OT Business, a podcast to empower and equip occupational therapy practitioners and others to be savvy and successful entrepreneurs. I'm your host, the ever honest, always 100% real, Laura Park Figueroa. I'm the founder and owner of Outdoor Kids OT, a leader in the nature-based therapy movement, as well as a business coach for therapist entrepreneurs exclusively in my Business Better Ops group coaching program. I hope that what you hear on this podcast will empower you to take action, even when you feel a little bit afraid. So are you ready to take action? Let's jump in. Hello, hello, and welcome to a value-packed episode of Mind Your OT Business. Your mind is about to be blown. You should probably get a notebook and a pen, or if you're out and about listening to this, like in your car or out for a run, you should listen and make sure that you stop and take notes on your phone while you're listening because Brandon Siegel is here. He is the owner of Wellness Works Management Partners. And he has so much wisdom to share with us about creating a healthy employee culture in your business, about how to create creative compensation structures, about recruiting, about interviewing, about onboarding employees, and about how to really empower employees when you do performance reviews with them. We cover so much in this episode. You do not want to miss it. So we are going to dive right in. Here's Brandon Siegel of Wellness Works Management Partners. Brandon Siegel, welcome to Mind Your OT Business. I'm so excited to have you here. I love it. I'm so excited to be here. It's a dream come true. (laughs) Oh, please. You are only the second person I have brought on this podcast that is not an OT. It's a big honor if you are invited and you're not an OT. (laughs) I have to tell you, I am always beyond honored when I get brought into the OT communities and I'm not an OT. So it's really, it's, I'm, I'm an OT at heart from my passion and my purpose and, and truly alignment, but it's always an honor to connect and co-create with OTs just like you, Laura. Your wife is an OT. Yes. So my wife is an OT. My mother-in-law's an OT. My brother-in-law's an OT. Oh my so goodness. I have the family lineage of OTs. My mother-in-law actually originally got her bachelor's degree in OT from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. So she okay. through and through original. She told me I have to stop at 40 years of experience. It's over that, but I can't say more than that. But I've been <laughs> able to live and eat and sleep and breathe really the revolution of OT, which is just phenomenal. Yeah. You have served our OT community so well. I just, I've attended several of your presentations at AOTA and I've read your book and I'm just so thankful for the work you do to support OT entrepreneurs specifically. So thank you for everything you do for us. Why don't you start out and tell all of our listeners about what you do? We haven't talked about that yet. (laughs) So First and foremost, I want to explain that the reason why I do what I do with OTs is because I recognize that as a child, if I had had an OT in my life, my trajectory on all levels would have been different. Hmm. I got diagnosed with ADD, ADHD, all these different things. I am your quintessential sensory child. Hmm. Did not know I was a sensory child till I married an OT and all the dots got put together. So right away, like this whole idea of functioning 
and optimizing life and everything became a whole new passion. I was like, well, we need to bring this to the next level. And so it started uh, over 15 years ago. I actually worked with my mother-in-law in building her practice. And okay. so over the years, we have been creating, we've owned, operated, run, managed the whole bit, uh, outpatient pediatrics, outpatient adults, a hand therapy clinic, a home health agency with nursing, school-based company. And we have an early intervention company to this day that I still run called Every Child Achieves, where we work in the natural environment, 100% with employees, primarily full-time and crafting and creating experiences for OTs, PTs, speech language pathologists, and infant development specialists to really create a collaborative employee-focused culture in transforming the natural environment for families. Hmm. So that's every child achieves. But along the way, I had this mission where I'm like, OTs are not getting into entrepreneurship enough. I see PTs in it, in the ortho space. And I see speech therapists getting into it, but they're getting into it in a single lane. It's kind of like, here's my 10 by 10 and I'm my own business. Yeah. It's like, man, function needs to be installed in so many sectors of life and OTs are missing the mark. So I started by speaking at one conference and it snowballed and I launched Wellness Works Management Partners with the idea of being, and it sounds weird, but like a one-stop shop for anything an entrepreneur can need in a purpose-driven field like OT. Hmm. So whether it's, I need coaching or consulting, or I need management, just run my practice, or I need to go on sabbatical. Can you manage everything or something's Hmm. wrong? Can you diagnose what's going on? Hey, I don't know anything about marketing. Can you build my brand and all these different things? So over the years, I have been crafting different departments within Wellness Works Management Partners to transform the trajectory of the purpose-driven entrepreneur. And so we now work with over 200 practices throughout the United States and a handful international. Our whole thing is how are we empowering the entrepreneur within you? So it's not like other companies. We call it a deconstructed management service organization. Oh, interesting. A traditional management service organization has been serving private practices in the physician based of basically like, give us your business, we'll run it. The problem is they give their keys away to the castle and they lose everything. Yeah. Our goal is to integrate into a practice, whether we're billing out of your system or integrating into your marketing or whatever those actions are. But then eventually we actually want to detach and train your hires and your employees and build your culture so that you really have full control over your practice, that you're never fully disconnected from every piece of the puzzle. So that's basically what we're doing. And uh, it's all about passion and purpose and alignment with creating positive change in this world. Uh, Okay. So now if you are listening, do you see why I brought Brandon on this podcast? Oh my gosh. (laughs) What have you not done in the last 15 years? So thank you, Brandon. That is, it's just so inspiring to hear. And it's a very unique kind of niche that you're serving because I don't think a lot of other companies like yours exist in the world. We are redefining our lane. And that's what's so neat is that our ability to create function in the workplace from all levels where we do it. And so it's funny because my wife says, you basically are like an OT to business without being OT. I'm like, (laughs) I'm bringing a business head on, but it's all about, everything's about alignment. 
Yeah. And that's what we forget. We forget is I always say it's data analytics, the story behind it, alignment, empowerment, engagement. Like how do we put these pieces together to build a puzzle that optimizes everyone's functional capacity in the business? Yeah. In the business. So as we speak today about employees, Employees. yeah, we're going to talk a lot about how we are optimizing functional capacity and what does that represent in today's workforce? Mm -hmm. Well, let's, let's get into it because I was so excited to talk with you. I think, I think we're going to cover a lot in this conversation that will help a lot of people because the process of hiring, I think comes at a place where you are, you're growing up, you're up leveling, right? You're growing your business, you're scaling. And it's the point at which I think a lot of people, they start a business maybe as a solopreneur and then they're, they're trucking along doing okay. And then they get really busy and they feel, they feel really confident. Like I've grown a business. I'm really busy. And then when you go to hire help, that is when you hit the next like roadblocks in your entrepreneurship, right? You've just got some confidence being a solopreneur, but then you're going to hire and it's like, what do I do now? (laughs) So I think this episode and what we're going to cover will really, really help so many people. And I I do want to say before we dive in, even if you have already hired people, if you're running a business that already has employees, I think that it is you're still going to learn a lot because I am really excited to ask you some of these questions because I've been, I'm in a hiring process right now myself, because I have an open position. So I've, I've learned a lot of the things we're going to talk about. And I also want to hear what you would tell me about some of the things we're going to talk about. I joked when I started the podcast that I really do this just to get free business coaching and, and like ask my curious questions about people's businesses. So, you know, that's why you're really here, Brandon is to help me. Okay. (laughs) Now, I want to say one more thing. There are a lot of people that hire staff. And I was having this meeting with a client yesterday and she's like, I just want to make one more hire and then I'm done. I go, why are you done? She's like, she has, she's like, 10 just sounds like a good number of employees. I don't want any more. And I say, well, what's the, what's the why for stopping? And what I got to the root of it was she can't handle more capacity because the exhaustion from employees. I'm like, then something's wrong in the way that your business is functioning. Yes. To this date, I have over 80 W2 employees, primarily full-time working for me in a completely different state than I reside. And I continue to hire with growth and I feel good about it because I put infrastructure, culture, accountability. Yeah. And there's nothing better than hiring for growth than hiring for need. And I think that's really important Mm. because when we hire for need, we often make concessions like, oh, well, I need them. I can't turn down these hours or this or that. They're leaving. And then all of a sudden your culture shift happens because you make a bad hire. I always say hire slow, fire fast because I've heard that before. Yeah. So important. So, yeah. So let's talk about, so I, I think let's start with, so, well, I guess I should ask you this. We've mentioned you and I both in this conversation, employees, but we haven't said anything about independent contractors. So I think before we start our conversation about compensation and all of that, like, do we want to frame this conversation in the sense that we are talking mainly about employees, W2 employees, or does some of what we'll discuss apply to independent contractors as well? So I think first and foremost, we have to differentiate the culture between employee and the culture between independent contractor and their roles. Because a lot of the times we mix them. I'm not talking right now, labor law compliance and depending on right. what state you're in, you're like, we can't use 1099s. I've been there. I have a right. lot of people in California. So I know you Californians who can't <laughs> use independent contractors the way that other states may be able to get away with. 
But what I want to make sure that everyone understands is that independent contractors is a cultural shift and difference from a labor standpoint than employees. Mm. We cannot treat a contractor like an employee and we cannot treat an employee like a contractor. So we must separate that state. When you look to hire contractors, you need to have the right why. Yeah. And I say that because a lot of the times people, when I ask them, why did you hire contractors? They say, well, they're cheaper. There's less risk. There's less (laughs) this, there's less that. That's the wrong why. That why is going to change your trajectory as a company on a cultural standpoint. So when we hire a contractor, usually the, the, the premise of a contractor is that it is a project that cannot be achieved by an employee. It might have a short-term duration. It may be a specialty outside of your regular delivery. Right. And you're bringing in an expertise to complement what you do. And that is a separate business that is facilitating a project for you. Yep. So I'm an OT business. I'm going to hire this speech language pathologist. It's not my primary thing. They're going to do this, but right. they run their show. In most cases, they're documenting and with their own company brand. And there's all these different things. I can't start offering employee handbooks and benefits and like right. come to our pizza party to a contractor and all these different yes. things. And so today we're going to talk mostly about employees, but I just want everyone to think of that. And so when you think of contractors, I want you to think of this. You're hiring a tutor for your child. You're hiring someone to mow your lawn. You're hiring a a pool specialist. It's someone that is bringing a skill set that's needed on a temporary or finite period that does not directly contribute to your primary delivery of business. Right. A lot of the mistakes that are happening is it's like, well, I'm hiring this person because they work in the schools as a full-time employee and they're only going to work three hours a week after school. So I'm going to make them a contractor. From nope. my viewpoint, that's an employee, that's a per diem employee, that's part-time employee. Right. And they're not a contractor. They're not their own business. So that's they would need they would need another source of income. That's one of the things the IRS looks for is are they are they being a contractor to more than one? If you're their only source of income outside of their W-2 job, that's of concern, right? Like so the idea is that they're offering their specialty to more than one funding, more than one person. The other thing to think about is often they want that contractor to have the capability to subcontractor use employees to get the job done. So when I hire a a pool man, they can send different pool people. As long as the pool gets cleaned, that's their job. Right. So what happens is we hire Tina, the OT, who's like the master mistress of all with 50 years experience and superstar. And she's $85.00. Well, what will happen if she brings in a coda to get the job done? You're going to be like, well, I didn't hire the coda. I hired you. Nope. She's an independent contractor. You're hiring the company, not the practitioner. And that practitioner should be able to work for other entities. So if they go out and they work for another entity, you can't get upset. So I find, especially in early intervention in home health, there's a lot of misclassification being done. Oh, totally. um, Yeah. Just because of the financial piece. Yeah, Financial sure. drives the independent contractor classification. Right. Okay, so this conversation we are going to have, we are mostly discussing employee culture in a business. And I, I was joking before this, we hit record that I might call this episode all about employees because we're going to talk about 
compensation structure and the whole hiring process and, and onboarding of a new employee. So, so let's talk about, I know you, you just did a podcast episode and I, I meant to look up the number of the episode before this, but you just did a podcast episode. Tell me the name of your podcast again. I'm forgetting it. Private no worries. The practice Private Success. Practice Survival Guide podcast. Private Practice Survival Guide. And it is, it is an episode that launched in May of 2021. You don't know the number off the top of your head, do you? <laughs> I'm like, I, I don't, but I it's don't. basically, you know, uh, it, it's employee compensation. Yeah. May, May first Monday of every, uh, every month I launch a okay. podcast episode. So it's the May 2021 episode. Great. And I do break down kind of the idea of how do we pay employees? That's the concept of it. All the yes. different factors. And it was an excellent episode. I actually reached out to you on Facebook and then also commented in my Facebook group about it to tell people because you really break down this specific topic more in that episode. So I want to direct listeners to that episode to get the full breakdown of what we're just going to touch on here. But you have this concept that you call creative compensation. So I want you to talk a little bit about what you mean by that and how that contributes to what you've referred to as employee culture, like a healthy employee culture. So one of the things that I'm going to start with before I kind of dive into creative compensation, Mm -hmm. because I think this is why I do creative compensation. When we're dealing with employees, we have to push them to bring authenticity and transparency of their needs their wants, their desires, and their future potential. Yes. If we don't get to that, then we can't get the best from them. And I say it this way, we almost have to treat our employees like we treat our children. And, and, and so we've got a child and I know Laura and I were talking, she's got a, a son who just started baseball, which I love. Well, what are we doing to invest in him being the best baseball player? So how do we optimize functionally his capacity so that his goals can come true. What are we doing to push? And what are the things we need to get him from a creative standpoint to feel good about it of like, you want this baseball bat. This is what you need to do to achieve that baseball bat. That's an earning opportunity. And that what that work is, is going to still ultimately help them reach their fullest potential. So with employees, it's the same thing. So I always say, when I look at creative compensation, I start from the point of perspective of what does this employee need, want, Hmm. and what is their goal? I don't look at what did they make previously. I don't look at any of that. So I ask pointed questions before I create a compensation. And one of the questions is, what is your financial goal in the next year, next three years, next five years? And I say, if you don't bring the transparency and authenticity to my journey, to this picture, I can't build you a future that's worth creating on and co-creating together. Right. So let's identify that. So then I get that. And sometimes I get drastic things like new graduates who have never worked with a patient in their life wanting $90,000. Okay. Yeah. And I know some of you are like, oh my gosh, what? But then I look at it and I'm like, what can I do to create their need right now through a base, their want through creative compensation, and their desire through creative compensation. How can I hit the trifecta? So the idea of creative compensation is understanding what their financial goals are. 
Okay. That's the first thing. Yeah. Second thing is what's their priorities? What are they functionally capacity? Like how many visits do they want to work? What's burnout? Everyone's different. We all want to put everyone in the same box, but I have some therapists that say, Brandon, I can do 35 visits in a week and I'm ready to go do five more. Like I just have that engine, that motor, you know, that kid that spends five hours in the batting cage every day. Different people have different (laughs) performance standards. We must assess that performance standard. Then what we do from a creative compensation standpoint is we create alignment that intrinsically motivates their goals, not just financially, but beyond finance. What's meaningful to them? It's so funny. We always ask as OTs, what's meaningful to you and our patients, but we forget to ask that from our employees. That's the number one leading question. What is meaningful to you? Is it benefits? Is it continuing ed? Is it environment? Is it flexibility? Is it finances? Is it career ladder growth? Is it what is meaningful Mm. to you? From there, we gather all this information. We gather what's meaningful, what matters, what their needs are, what their wants are, what they want to do, what their clinical expertise is now versus what their clinical expertise needs to be through self-assessment, through sometimes an an in-person interview where they're doing observation and different things. We have to create alignment so that just like we evaluate a patient, okay? Yeah. We never set a treatment plan without an evaluation. Why aren't we doing the same for employees clinic? Yeah, that's genius, really. I mean, to to say what is meaningful to you and mm-hmm. and be able to craft a compensation structure that actually aligns with that for the for the future employee. And understanding their professional and clinical strengths, weaknesses and having alignment. Mm-hmm. They have to have that self-awareness to say I really don't know what I'm talking about. I went to school for this many years and I've worked in the school districts for three years, but like outside of that, like machine, yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. So then we create a creative compensation structure that feeds their need that ultimately upskills them. These are the courses we're going to pay for to get mm-hmm. you there. But we put a financial value in that creative compensation. Everything we do for an employee must have a financial cost so that they understand this is your net. This is your gross. This is your expense. This is your output to achieve that. And here's your financial earning potential within this creative compensation package. Right. So all of a sudden that person that says, I want to make $90,000 a year okay, I think we can make this happen. But these are the steps. These are the investments. This is what you would need to achieve to make that a reality. And then they come back and they say, well, I don't like that reality. Okay. What are you willing to compromise on? Yeah. I'd rather make less money or I'd rather not have this or I'd rather. So what we're doing is we're creating a professional treatment plan (laughs) (laughs) for our employees to achieve their optimal functionality and goals and ambitions and creating a roadmap for success. Right. But I don't do that until I'm a hundred percent sold on that employee. So interview process is huge Right. because that creative compensation, if they're not willing to work for it, or they're not willing to, if they just want a free ride, like I just want to show up, clock in and clock out. They don't fit your culture. Yeah. 
Yeah. So here is one of the most important things I'm going to share that is going to go against what most believe. And I'm going to actually credit Horst Schulze, the founder of Ritz Carlton, who I have a really good relationship with. He told me, he said, Brandon, don't ever change your function to accommodate someone else. Attract the person that fits your functional needs, organization, efficiency, Mm. everything. We so often say, I'm not getting candidates. I'm not getting applicants. I got to change this. I need to pay more. I needed this. I need that. We shift our entire functional capability, optimization, our workflow, everything to try and bring in the fish and the fish sours everything. It's a rotten fish. Put the right magnetic energy out there, attract the right fish. They will stay, they will grow, they will achieve and your operating basis will improve because of it. Yeah, it'll it'll protect your company culture. Yeah. Everything. I want to ask you a little bit about this idea. I want to have you speak on this and then I want to dive into like recruiting and interviewing a bit. So one of the ideas that you shared in your recent podcast episode was that we should not be tying performance to pay increase essentially. And I want, I want you to talk about that a little bit because I've been sharing this with my employees and talking with them about the new pay structure that I've implemented in my business, which is basically a base pay structure for years of experience and such when they come in. And then there is a long list of bonuses that are all tied to producing revenue in the business. So you get bonuses if you work more than one group or more than one week of camp every summer, or if you have high client satisfaction. I mean, there's all these different bonuses that I thought up, like what activities in the business, if they happen, are tied to revenue growth in the business. And then I wrote a bonus structure based on that. And This is something I had done right before I listened to your episode. And then when I listened to your episode, I was so happy that that I had done something right, you know? So I want you to talk a little bit about that because I feel like people kind of smart at that or feel, feel strange that pay increase should be tied to revenue production in the business rather than like performing well. A couple of things. First and foremost, it is crucial in private practice that every employee understands the operating basis of a practice. Yeah. That is like the standard definition of, I want you to understand the financial modeling of a private practice before you can understand your thriving capability. So every year our expenses go up, our rent, our health insurance, all these things, Mm -hmm. you know, literally you sign a 10 year lease, you're signing a 30% increase from when you start to when you end at least, just so that everyone's on the same page. Then taxes go up, uh, benefits go up, all these different factors. So on average, we probably experience about a 10% expense increase annually when all things are calculated. Wow. That's the first thing I want you to understand. The second thing I want you to understand is that our income in terms of the actual revenue per hour of delivery is stagnant or decreasing when you look at the trends for the last 15 years. Recently, I looked at an opportunity with an insurance that I was contracted with in 2006. Their reimbursement is the same exact number as it was in 2006. Wow. So we're 2021. How can I justify that same stagnant component? 
Very important for you to understand. Well, other clinics are doing it. You know why? They're making you see patients every 20, 30 minutes. Right. They're making you do a 98% productivity. So before we move forward with understanding how compensation works in our private practice, I want you to understand this idea of expenses going up and reimbursement staying stagnant. Hmm. I assure you this, if I get a massive reimbursement increase, I will revisit everyone's rate yes. right on that top. <laughs> so first and foremost, you have my word on that. So our infrastructure is financially, in order for you to make more money, we need more revenue coming in because yes. that allows us the variable increase of revenue allows us to increase our variable expense versus our fixed expense. Right. So that's why we have this infrastructure. Now, from my belief system, if I can financially afford to give you more money, I will give you more money. Yes, I don't need absolutely. it to be like, oh, here's your one-year anniversary or your five-year, your 10-year, this or that. If you're outperforming your contract, I will 100% look at your rate and pay you what it's worth. Because the bottom line is this, I have 60 to 70% max capability for all of the expenses of our staff, our admin, our this or that, everything else I need, everything else to be rent and tools and all those different things. That's the reality of this. So I have two annual reviews for you. One review is based on performance. Mm -hmm. Why do I look at performance? Because we need to always be optimizing our function. This yep. is education for you. I am investing in you becoming more powerful as a tool, as a vehicle of change in this yeah. practice with your patients. If you're not bought into that, if you don't think that's valuable, then get out of the profession because you're not worth right. your weight in gold. Right. Every year, your job is to grow. And yeah. I say this so that everyone knows. Anyone that's not willing to spend $500 of their own money on their own education after graduating college is not my employee. I want someone who is intrinsically responsible for their own growth. And yes. then I'll throw another 2,500 at them. Right, they right. have to be willing to spend on them too, is my point. Yes. Everyone wants that handout and we have to shift that culture. Yeah. So performance review is all about growth. I'm taking the time to do a 360 degree feedback once a year. I'm going to have a blanketed survey that I create that you're going to fill out on yourself and rank in all these categories. Then I'm going to pick randomly three other employees who co-treat, see you, whatever. Mm -hmm. They're going to fill it out. I'm even going to pick a family, a patient and not name them and have them fill out the same survey from their per yep. standpoint. And then for me, from a management standpoint, I'm going to take my own accord. What's the value to you? This is expensive. This takes time and people. Yeah, and absolutely. But what I'm doing is I'm bringing an awareness to yeah. where you can grow. And what we're going to do from that is we're going to name clinical and professional learning objectives for you to be more effective and efficient as a vehicle of change in our practice and in your career for the next year. Yeah. That's the point of a performance appraisal. Financial appraisal, we can do once a year as well. I sometimes will even break it down where I usually, so right now I have a culture at ECA where every quarter I'm actually looking at everyone's financial output versus input. Hmm. And if I can afford to give a raise, I will. And people love it because they get shocked. It doesn't happen. Sometimes it they maxed out. It just depends. Right. But 
I created all about revenue in, revenue out, and what can I afford? And I say it that way. My goal with your financial analysis is to pay you as much as I can afford, bottom line. That's why I separate performance and financial analysis. Yep. And I like that. I, I, I like how you talk about transparency too, because I think too often we're not actually transparent with employees maybe about what we can actually afford. That was part of my recent process was breaking down our actual cost per group. Every group that we run, our, we run therapy groups for the most part. Mm-hmm. We made a spreadsheet and I showed my employees like this is exactly how much money. And we, we made it where you could like change the amount of money the therapist just paid per hour and see like how that affects the revenue of the group or whatever. But you know, it really, employees are not business owners. They're not thinking about the numbers the way you are. And when they see that the business brings in an amount of money for the time that they work, they're not seeing all the behind the scenes that you have to pay for to support their work and all the taxes you pay and all those things. So it helps to show them (laughs) the numbers to show like, I'm not trying to be mean in Mm -hmm. capping our pay scale at this amount per hour. It really is that the money is not there, you know, and, and it, it helps, I think, to show that you are, paying them the maximum that you can pay them and that you'll revisit when those numbers change. So, and just two examples I'll say. So one is I had a client in um, Maryland and they had everyone on a salary. I personally don't love salaries. I won't go into all the different types of pay, but they were overpaying and the therapists were underperforming. I'll just say it that way. Right. They hired me. I came in, I did a full analysis. I did motivational interviews with each therapist to find out what they need, what they want, all those different things. I shocked the owners because I cut the salaries by over 20,000 a year, just so we're all on the same page. Yeah. I created bonus structures with incentives with all different earnouts. I then presented it to the employees. I got the buy-in. Every single therapist has outperformed and hit the highest bonus, making 20,000 over what their $20,000 salary was. So they're 40,000 above in bonuses above their base salary because they had transparency. And I said, what worked about this? They said, all I ever heard before was I'm not doing enough, too many cancellations. And it was like slapping them on the hand. Like you're not good enough. You're not right. You're not right. I never felt enlightened and empowered with data in front of me to be effective. So that's the first thing. The second thing I want to say, because I know this comes up a lot, is like, what about people who have been with you? I have people that have been with my company for 16 years, just so we're clear. Yeah. 16 years. You can't do increases at every point. Right. So I believe in three base rankings, and I, you know, I do talk about it, is first ranking is anyone who is under five years of experience, or if they've been with you for three years, they can advance to tier two. The second one is five years of experience in a related functional capacity, not like, oh, I did skilled nursing and I'm coming into peds. Right. Um, and then the third tier is they've been with your company for five years altogether, plus advanced through level two. So there's these three different tiers and you can tweak it, whatever. But that's it from a fixed cost increase. But then the other thing I do is I do what I call is a retention bonus. So every year you're with the company, it's maybe it's a $250 bonus. And then at year five, it's a 500 and at year 10, it's a thousand. And at year 15, it's a 1500. And in between those years, it's just that 250 or whatever. Right. So that's something birthdays. I do uh, a card and a gift card and whatever. 
there's ways to acknowledge with little things. The whole idea yeah. is how are we creating acknowledgement touches without breaking the bank, but not utilizing our base compensation as a, as a way of appreciation. The role of base compensation is to meet the need of the, the person, the immediate need. Need yeah. is not going out to Fleming's and having a steak. Need is like, <laughs> I need to be able to keep the lights on, et cetera, just so right. we're all on the same page. Right. Yeah. I love those examples. That's great. Okay. Let's, let's dive into uh okay. So we've talked a little bit about creative compensation and, and I think maybe there's been some mind shifts for some people that are listening, I'm sure, but let's talk about recruitment now. So moving through this process of, we, we have to have this, we have to have some kind of pay structure in place, right? Before we start recruiting. So we know what we're going to offer later. What tips do you have? Cause I know it, I mean, you even alluded to it in one of your examples earlier, like it can be really hard to find quality therapists. I mean, therapists tend to be in high demand in most areas of, I mean, in the U S at least where we are. So what are some tips you can give people for recruitment of quality potential people (laughs) to work in your business? So first thing first, it is going to be hard to hire. Sometimes I, again, like sometimes people say, Brandon, it's been six months. How much does that person mean to your business model? Hmm. And what are you willing to compromise on? So first and foremost, you need to understand your compromising factors. So I know what I'm willing to compromise and not. I'm going to be transparent. I just spent, I think, $600 on an ad on Indeed, didn't get me anything. And then I posted a free one and I got one. So there's no algorithm that paid is necessarily going to be successful. So from a recruitment standpoint, finding candidates in your pool, I recommend with therapists, get them in your bucket and then start evaluating. So I evaluate with an email because I want to see how bad do they want it, promptness, whatever. Hmm. Usually I'll have a couple application questions just to get an idea, depending on how bad the need is. So I want to be very clear. If the need is a level like 911, then I want to make that application process for them to submit their resume as easy as possible. But if it's like, hey, in the next six to nine months, I'd like to find someone, then I throw in more questions on that application so that I get more info up front. Sure. But the yeah. biggest step I do is I send an email within hours, usually, of receiving an application, not days, hours. That email is directed, and I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of spitfire it so that you can hear, and I'll target it towards Laura. Sure. Dear Laura, thank you so much for your interest in every child achieves. We're on a mission to change the world one child at a time, and it all starts with our staff. Part of our role in changing the world is creating an employee culture where our staff can optimize their potential, have career goals and achieve everything they want in this world and more. Yeah. With that being said, we would love your feedback on the following five questions. And I throw five questions at them. One of the questions is what are your compensation goals? I'm not afraid for them to list the $90,000 because I can always work backwards. Sure. What I'm putting in ranges of compensation into my Indeed ad or whatever you're doing, I always put annual, not hourly. And I use annual with the idea that it is what they, the potential is. So 60,000 to 108,000. So that then they're like, well, I want 108,000. Well, let's show you how to get there. Yeah. 
the other question usually is, why are you currently looking for new employment? I want to know their why. Another question usually is, what is one continuing ed course that you would take today if I paid for it? I want to know where they want to grow. Yeah, that's great. And then a lot of the times, another one will be something like, what would your ideal employment look like? Bring specifics. I want to know, like, is it, is it demographic? Is it uh, flexibility? What are those different things? From there, I send that email, it goes off to them. I call them as soon as that email goes out and I say, hey, Laura, this is Brandon from Every Child Achieves. Thank you for your interest in our job. I just wanted to let you know, because a lot of times you'll reach email, I mean, voicemail. Yeah. I'll say, I wanted to let you know, I just sent you a really important email. We would love for you to be a candidate in our exploration process. If mm-hmm. you can, can you get back to me in the next two business days? If you can't, just reply and let me know what your timeline would be so that I can hear from you. That's this great. is an executive function test. Yes. Can they get the communication. <laughs> yes. Can they follow through? Can they respond? Two business days go by. I don't hear from them. I leave one more message. I say, hey, Laura, I had emailed you two days ago. I have not heard back. If I don't hear back from you in the next 24 hours, I will assume you're no longer interested in this job. Yes. I'm willing to lose them at that point. And usually like if they come in, they're like, they email a week later. Oh, I was out of town. Well, you were out of town and you were able to apply for the job. So you could have easily taken two minutes, replied to the email and said, I'm out of town. I would love to be considered. Can I speak with you next week? Don't settle for poor professionalism. Yes. That will be reflected with your patients. That, that is something that I feel so strongly about having your process of recruitment, not even during your interview, but give them a few little things to do and see if they pay attention to detail because training someone to do that can be really exhausting. Like it's simple. Just reply to an email. (laughs) So So two areas that I always try to assess in my interview process. One is self-awareness and the other is the ability to complete a task on time. Yes. And, and if we don't allow them to do that, we're missing one of the most important components of being a change maker as a therapist. Yep. So I, I think that's really important. And you know that this is a society thing right now because McDonald's is literally paying $50 for someone to show up to an interview. And so have you seriously, swear, no, swear. So they're, they're literally paying $50. McDonald's came out with this huge campaign that they can't get employees who sign up for interviews to show up where now they've had to, to literally financially motivate people to show up to the interviews, which I think is a disaster and awful. It's such a horrible executive function yeah. component. <laughs> but I'm saying that we need to recruit the best of the best to really uphold the integrity of our clinical care. And so yeah. that's what our interview process is about. It's about attracting people that show light beyond just what's on paper, but them as change makers. How are we evaluating their timeliness, their communication, their buy-in, their ability to pivot? Like even just in interviews, how do you throw them off a little bit? You have to put people in environments because when a family throws a crazy thing at them, they or a patient, caregiver, whatever, we have to be willing to see how they would pivot and handle it in a professional manner. Yes. You can always tell when someone is not ready to improvise when they say this to an answer. Oh, well, that's a good question. Um, I got to think about that. I'm like, you got to be able to think on the spot. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> there's a better way to say it. Right. Have something in your back pocket because the reality is in interviewing, there's five probably real core interview questions that we all ask. We just ask it in a hundred different ways. Totally. So yeah. Really aware or prepared. They should have retorts in a way where they can authentically communicate themselves. Yes, absolutely. And that is something I, I think I might do an interview or a interview questions episode where I talk about some of the questions for people to guide their interview process to do some of that. Like, I think it's really important to include those questions. Like, let's say this happened in a treatment session. Talk to me as if you would, how would you respond to the parent, you know, or whatever. And like, have someone have to think on their feet about what they would say um, and really see how they would respond in that situation. Working interviews too are another thing I really believe in, like having people come in and be there. So you see them and how they work. I think that's important, but. So I do email interview, then I do a virtual interview, then I do an in-person and then I do a working interview. I call an observation interview. Sure. And so each step of that is very important. And each step I'm monitoring their promptness. How do they go above and beyond? What are the things that they do? Do yes. they send you an email after meeting you? Do they follow up with questions? Are they coming into this world with the idea of exchange or are they coming into this world with, this is what I need to do what you want me to do. There's a different intention in, well, I need this versus I would love for us to co-create and this is what I hope for and this is what I hope to produce for you. Yeah. How are we creating exchange that meets multiple needs instead of the selfish viewpoint of, I'm a licensed therapist, I need this, I need that. When you say I need, you're done versus my hope, my goal, my my what can I do to achieve this? Yeah. Because you have to be respectful. To, it's it, There's two people in this marriage. True. Right, right, right. <laughs> That's totally true. All right. So let's talk about well, I think we already we already kind of talked about interview a little bit about things to include. I want to ask you about, I know in your recent episode, you talked about having the conversation about money early in the interview process rather than waiting until the very end. And, and you kind of alluded to that where you said, what are your goals? What do you want to make in the next year? Like that, that is that kind of what you mean when you say get the so, money question out of the way? Oh, <laughs> I, I hit the elephants out of, so a couple things, my email the whole purpose of my email interview is to get the elephants out of the room. Yeah. So what's your compensation goals? What, you know, if you have something like, you're like, I need people from four o'clock to seven o'clock. What is your availability? Don't give them, don't feed them what you want them to answer. Because a lot of people will tell you, what is your ideal availability? What are you willing to do? Whatever. So then when I'm in that virtual interview, I go through, I discuss the position, usually the virtual interview. So I want to be clear. The idea behind the first two steps, the email interview and the virtual interview is to achieve making sure that your job is a fit for them. You're not evaluating them yet. You're evaluating if your job is a fit for them, compensation, time, all that. Mm -hmm. So in that virtual interview, I would say, hey, Laura, I noticed you put that you're hoping to make between 75 to $90,000 a year. So I want to talk to you about how our compensation structure works, what this looks like and ensure there's alignment. So then I go over and I go, here's what a base looks like. Here's what productivity would mean for you to earn this. This is when you could do this, et cetera. These are all the benefits, all the goals, all the contribution. Our package would probably be anywhere from a $78,000 to $120,000, depending on your productivity. Right. But you're not, you got to, it's a, it's a shared risk compensation structure. Do you have any concerns with that? 
And if they say yes, we're not a right fit. And I move yeah. forward. If they are, then we move forward. And then usually in the in-person interview, I will actually have everything mocked up to just show them so that I see if there's anything because I don't want to waste the observation interview yet. Right. So the in-person is usually, that's where I start to delve into that next level. But I'll also say, let's go through compensation one more time. Because when you get to my observation, I'm almost honestly like I should have everyone in the, in the palm of my hand. So anyone yeah. that reaches the observation interview or the working interview, it should be like they're ready to sign on the dotted line and you're just picking who gets that prize. Yes, and you have absolutely. To it like it's a prize. Yeah, I think that I think that's really important too to to not approach, even if you are really desperate for someone to come and work for you, to not approach it in the spirit of desperation, to really create the company that people want to work for, you know, and, and have that be like, it is a prize to work here. Like having that mindset can really shift how you as a business owner approach the interview process even, and how you show up in presence with that person. So that is a very, very good tip. One thing I also do. So with a lot of practices, I also recommend a profit sharing capability for the organization through a 401k when you can. And I've done that where it's discretionary match. And what happens is I'm able to show the track record of how much we've, so for three years in a row, ECA has done dollar to dollar match in our 401k and it's all based on performance. So there's still an intrinsic motivation that you may get an additional five, 10, 15 grand as the company performs, but it's, we're investing in your retirement. So you don't go spend it at Target and Walmart and Amazon. Right. <laughs> and, and that creates also a culture where there's a feeling of like, ownership in the total performance of the company and not just individual performance, just so that we, we know about that too. Sure. Yeah. And also you're investing in your people then showing that you care about them beyond when they're with your company. All right. Let's talk about the, now we're, now we're, let's say we've interviewed them and they've gone through the process and we are going to onboard someone that we want to offer this position. What mistakes do you see business owners make when they are onboarding new employees? So the biggest mistake that I see is that they've got all the paperwork done and they just expect the person to be able to like pick up and run. So it's like, right. Hey, welcome. Your first day's here. We got your I nine, we got your employee paperwork, like good to go. Like talk to Tina. She's got your schedule and uh, let us know if you need anything. And, and they think by saying, let us know if you need anything, it's all good. It's like, okay, yeah. we're good to go. Like whatever. So You're I am hired. a big believer that, the first day of work is 50% orientation and maybe 50% like clinical observation or co-treatment. Mm. And so that goal is like, we're going to get you all dialed in. We're going to create, we want to really tack on. So the next 90 days, what do we want to see from you? What do we want to accomplish in 90 days? We're going to reassess your performance. So I start with that performance appraisal at that orientation state. So we have a baseline of where mm -hmm. they see themselves, what they want to achieve going through and making sure they understand the EMR going through and making sure they understand the coding, go through and understand what meetings and, and, and component. And so my first week of employment, you're not at hundred percent productivity of what right. your standard is. Your first week, you might be at 50% because one thing that's really important is you want people to, you can't just have them train, 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 because then they actually, their own self esteem goes down. Sure. You always want someone to feel like they're being causative too. So I always say, in the mornings we train, in the afternoons we produce for the first week or the first two weeks or whatever. Sure. You know, if you need an extra meeting, let us know. And there's check-in points. 
The other thing with onboarding is you have to get them excited. So have that like, here's your shirt, here's your this, here's your that. We're going to do a group lunch to welcome at you. We're going to like, how do you create that cultural impact so that they're running into bringing a new Mm -hmm. energy to the culture? Because I want you to think of it. Every new employee can either be, they can either add fuel or take away fuel. So we want them to add fuel and the more enthusiasm, excitement, fun. And when a new person comes on board and the team gets excited, it's like, Hey, we get lunch because Jamie's coming on board. It's yeah, like, you know, right. that, those are things that really shift the culture and add sure. energy to it. Do you guys have a, this is kind of an off topic, little side comment, but I, you know, I am, I'm doing the same as you know, I'm running a practice in California while I live in Madison. And I, I'm trying to think through creative ways to do things like that, where, like if you don't have a physical location, like where you can buy everyone lunch and you're doing a zoom meeting or something. I mean, I guess I could like send gift cards to everyone and say, get your lunch and come, we'll meet at this. I don't know. Like, do you have any creative ideas for that? Just off the top of your head, like so team culture have, distance wise. So from a distance standpoint, we've set up two Fridays a month. We have a zoom with anyone that can join. And then in that sense, we do send gift cards and things like that and surprise people. We also will throw some different events. We also, we still have every employee goes through an orientation in our office in North Hollywood. So every single employee will get that lunch through their orientation. The rest of the team doesn't get that same component, but we try to to handle it in different ways. But that's because we're a home environment, whatnot. But um, but I, I always think sometimes it doesn't have to, everyone focuses on food doesn't have to be food. I mean, look at the, the pen, you know, the epidemic of, of weight and everything. We focus yeah. sometimes too much on food. So there's also ways where you, you send a little, like there's like nat cool snack packs that are all organic and natural. You could ship out, you could do a swag pack. You could do, there's different ways you could do also just say, we're not going to spend money and we're going to do a special zoom meeting where we do jeopardy and we learn sure. and, grow and collaborate and stuff. There's ways to make it fun with it, not just being financial incentive based. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Culture. That's cool. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to, I'm going to have to do some of those, some of those things going forward here. And also I do plan to travel back to California occasionally. I joke to them. I'd prefer you request my assistance in person, specifically between the months of November and March every year. I would like to be required to come to California to support my business for approximately two to four weeks in February. (laughs) It's so funny. I remember when I was living in Madison, I was in San Diego for a client on the beach. And my wife was with kids home with like the below 50 when everything, it was like the cold iceberg, whatever it was called. And I remember she was like, and I offered for them to come with me to San Diego before they knew that the whole thing would hit. But right. absolutely. I think uh, winter is a good time for you. to. Yes. To travel back. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. So love those ideas about onboarding. And I think that the 90 day cycle and just not expecting people to even, even someone who has experience, they have to learn your systems and your business. And we have a lot of loom videos that we use that we kind of walk people through. We have a, a Trello board that we have them go through different videos and I kind of check in with them when they need those videos, right? So the first time you're doing notes, here's the video for you. And then we're also going to check in about the questions you had. So, so you've keep- created a learning management system through Trello. Yeah. And I just want everyone to hear that because 
how we communicate info is important, but just because you have videos doesn't mean that there's no human connection. Yes. And so sometimes it's as little as, hey, on your third day, I want to sit down and have a virtual lunch with you to learn more about you. Do you want us to bring food in for you? You know, I can send you a little gift card, whatever, but I'd love yeah. to just have a moment to connect. Don't lose sight on connection. There's a human yeah. connection that has to occur. And it becomes more natural as someone builds within your practice. But the first 90 days are the most crucial 90 days for setting a precedence on culture and accountability. That's so important for me because I'm, I've am i been doing this whole series on the podcast on the Enneagram. So I've been recording tons of episodes. And as an Enneagram 8, I'm very businessy. You know, I don't like the touchy-feely, like all of the like appreciation about what I like about you and all of that. I'm just like, let's just do the agenda, okay? You know? <laughs> So it's very important for me as someone who wants to be self-aware that I need to stop and have that connection with people and not be all about business, you know, because I do care about people. I just yeah. tend to forget that when I'm in business mode, you know, so very good it. word. And and there is a world where you have an employee that says, that doesn't mean anything to me. Again, what matters to them? Yes. Find it out. You can build systems and accountability and have certain functional items that flex on and off, depending on if it's meaningful to the employee. Sure. So when we, when we have, you mentioned that 90 day reassessment, and you mentioned that you do the performance review when they first start, right? So let's talk a little bit about performance reviews, because I think this is something that a lot of people do differently. I know someone in my Facebook group, when we had kind of a, there was a post about it and someone said, I just hate, I just hate the term performance review. I think it's anxiety producing. So she called it something else, but I, I wonder if we could talk a little bit about how to structure those. And you've said a little bit before, but how to structure those in a way that is collaborative and supportive of the employee rather than feeling like, a we're analyzing you and criticizing you, you know? Yeah. So first and foremost, I mean, you'll hear performance appraisal. You'll hear, I like 360 degree employee feedback. And yeah, the I like that too. for it is that I always say that this is not about invalidation. This is about empowerment. This is a tool yes. to learn and grow. So every area where you're not five-star is actually positive because it gives us intention to invest in your growth. We all live in a world where we think five out of five is a needed area. So first thing first, don't use a number scale. That's my first thing. Okay. Second thing is label the ratings in a way where I might say educational opportunity, effective, and one above it. So mastery or something to that extent. So okay. yeah. there's effective, there's mastery, and then educational opportunity. The goal of educational yeah. opportunities, that becomes the priority of what can we do to help your educational opportunities become effective? And what can we do to go from effective to mastery? And understanding that doesn't happen in three months. Sometimes that happens in years. And then categories, right. I look at soft skills. I look at administrative function, like getting reports in, things like that, if they're scheduling. I look sure. at clinical evaluation. I look at um, whether it be a parent or a caregiver collaboration, interdisciplinary collective, ability to clean up and tidy. Like depending on the role, I come up with all these different sure. things yeah. because there's at the end of the day, every item on there is a functional need 
to be optimal as a change maker in our practice. And that's yeah. what I always say. It's your role is to be a change maker. Cleaning up after yourself is part of that role. Uh, right. Getting in your documentation is part of that role. Making sure you show up on time is part of that role. Asking for help is part yes. of that role. And yes, I put asking for help because people are afraid to be inferior. We live in a world yeah. of invalidation. Yep. So how do we shift our appraisal from invalidation to education and empowerment? Yeah, I love that because that makes it about a process of personal and professional growth, not about I'm being criticized because nobody's perfect. (laughs) No one is perfect. So I always say this process is a professional coaching program. Yeah, that's a good way to, you know, I actually had that, that thought because I think I, I, do so much coaching and mentorship of my like business coaching clients and in my business coaching program. And I had kind of forgot for a minute that like my employees, they're so independent. They've been with the practice for a while now. Like I forgot that they, I I didn't know that they actually wanted me to coach them in some way, you know, and that kind of became clear to me this spring when we were talking about me moving and kind of adjusting things in the business. And I was like, wait, you guys want to be involved in like the growth of the business? It was kind of a surprise to me, but it was a good wake up call for me to remember that your employees are, it's your responsibility as a CEO of your business to really invest and support the professional and personal growth, even of your employees to help them become change makers. Like what you said, you know, to have purpose in the world. So it's, I love that. It helps us remember the why of our jobs, I think as, as practice owners. It's intrinsic motivation and shared investment. And that's why I say that's part of the exchange that you create with your culture. Yep. All right. We're on to our last rapid fire questions, Brandon. Okay. I'll be quick. Okay. Well, they don't have to be (laughs) rapid fire. I just call them that because I say them at the end of every episode. So what is the biggest fail learn? So I call failures fail learns because, you know, growth mindset. What is the biggest fail learn you've ever had in business and how can others avoid that same mistake? So the biggest fail I've ever had is that I tried to buy growth and by Mm. buy growth, I paid high salaries and I took on low reimbursement contracts with the goal that I could outproduce the margin. And I think my culture suffered because of it. Hmm. So what should people do to avoid that? What we've talked about in this interview. (laughs) So the first thing first is I think you have to understand and evaluate the productivity capacity of your team as a whole and on an individual basis. Sure. I remember back in the day I had executives that were telling me, well, everyone can produce it because this one person produced it. And I'm like, that's not a sample size that that mm-hmm. that's not enough. Just because one person can do something doesn't mean everything. There's right. plenty of people that can run a triathlon. I can't run a triathlon. Right. Uh, a triathlon. <laughs> exactly. So we can't all be Olympic athletes. Is, I think you really have to have realistic expectations. Are you a standard? What's your standard of care and what's your standard of productivity? And then you have people that outproduce it, but you have to create that standard first. Second of all, you need to make sure you're attracting the right talent that fits that standard and you're not compromising in order for growth. Yeah, that is very wise advice. And basically this whole interview talked about how to do that. So that's perfect. That's a perfect fail for this episode that we just recorded. Okay, so let's end on a happy note. 
and talk about what is going so well in your business right now and how can others experience that same success? So Wellness Works Management Partners is all about change and it's all about co-creating. So I feel honored to co-create with entrepreneurs uh, in all different walks of purpose-driven entrepreneurship, but I would say 70% of my clinics and, and clients and home health and school companies are OT-owned practices mm-hmm. because they work so well with OTs. And uh, I offer a free strategy session. Why? Everyone thinks, is it a sales tool? Is it? No. So I use that one to identify if I'm a right fit anyway, if I right. can solve their problem, if I can. And I would say probably 35% of people that get a free strategy session are not, a, I'm not a fit for them. And I refer them elsewhere. I say, you need to do sure. something. There's nothing for it. What I find is people sometimes get frustrated because I focus more on helping them build a strategy than selling my services. So hmm. we are really trying to be a one-stop shop in purpose-driven alignment. So it's if you've got a great marketing company, I don't need to be your marketing company. Right. If you have a great billing company, I don't need to be your billing solution. If you have a great coach, I don't need to be your coach. Right. Sometimes it's a matter of just like, I need to get a new perspective. And I find that the, that we're trying, the more that we learn from others, that's yeah. why I invite everyone to learn from lots of people. I don't know everything. No one does. We're always learning. So my goal is building perspectives. And so people can literally sign up for a free consult on my website, www.wellnessworksmp.com, Wellness Works Management Partners. I would be happy with no strings attached to just focus on giving you a single concrete strategy to upstat your trajectory so that you're reaching and exceeding all your goals in years to come. Yay. Well, you answered my last question where people can find you online. You knew it was coming. That was... (laughs) figured let's wrap this thing up with a bow so that we're all in alignment. It's so great. I mean, you to offer that to people with how much you do and your expertise clearly, clearly shared with everyone on this episode is just, that is a hugely valuable offer to have a strategy session with you for free. I mean, that's like, I don't know how you do it all, Brandon, seriously. (laughs) I, 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 I just, you know, people ask that because I've got a lot of creates when you can build infrastructure with Mm -hmm. purpose, you can create talent to surround you in the areas where you're weak. That's true. I am really good at solving problems. It is one of my strengths. Communication and solving problems are where I excel. And then I build infrastructure and people around me that allow everything else to really optimize and go right. Yeah. To flow well. Yep. Did, didn't I you am, say you're the, you're the entrepreneur's plumber. Someone yes. called you, you like, yes. you like unstop the, the clogs in businesses. hundred <laughs> percent entrepreneur's plumber is kind of my alias. And it's because yeah. I want to literally have every single pipe work optimally for you. Yeah. Yeah. I loved that. I loved that little, and you had like the icon, it's like a little icon with you, with your red hair and the, it just was so funny. I loved it. I loved it. The entrepreneur's plumber. <laughs> Well, thank you, Brandon. This has been a treat. And I feel like I took so many notes because I was, I've been trying to, after podcast episodes right away, do kind of the outro to say, okay, here were my takeaways from this interview. My notes are like, I should put a photo of these in the show notes because like, look at this. Like, it's like, 
I was scribbling away at what my favorite things were, but now I have a whole page of notes. So I feel like this delivered so much value to people. And as busy as you are and as genius as you are, I am so thankful to you for being here. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. I adore you. I love what you're changing. And I'm amazed by all what you're creating. Just, you know, I look up to what you've been building and creating. And so um, this is just so much fun to co-create with you. Yay. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. Oh my goodness. I might have to say that this was one of the most value packed episodes I feel I've ever recorded on this podcast. I am sure that you probably agree because you may have to go back if you didn't take notes the first time you listened and take some notes. So I'm just going to recap some of my takeaways here from Brandon, because I so enjoyed that conversation. It was encouraging to me and some of the changes that I'm making in my private practice. And I, like I said, I am in the process of hiring right now. So a lot of this is very top of mind for me. So the first thing is that idea of staying in touch with what does an employee want? What is meaningful to them? Because not the same things in a job are meaningful to all people. And treating that as the CEO of the business, treating that idea of kind of customizing compensation to what is meaningful to the employee. The other things that I took away were just encouragement about being transparent with employees and sharing the numbers with them and being very clear about the numbers in the business and why compensation is the way it is in the business structure. And finally, I really loved the kind of call to support new employees well, meaning don't just bring them into a position and expect that they are going to learn as they go, but really support them, focus on that connection and empower employees with feedback. That word empowerment was so empowering to me (laughs) when, when Brandon said that, and it really does shift the focus of a quote unquote performance review to be about empowering the employee to be a better professional and a better person in their life. So that just really reframes performance reviews to me. I have to think of a better name than performance review in my practice. Maybe it's like empower hour. That would be really cheesy. I'm not going to do that anyway, (laughs) because you know, I'm not really about the cheese. So those were my takeaways. I hope that you had some takeaways too. I just know that this episode is going to help so many of you as you create compensation structures, as you recruit people, as you interview, and as you hire. So take a small step because small steps make great gains over time. Until next time, mind your OT business.